Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, and I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. Dear 20-something started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful woman they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts we process internally, Dear 20-something is a space where listeners can hear insights, ask questions, and ultimately get advice from the woman they most admire. Today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Poppy Jamie. Poppy Jamie is one of the world's leading entrepreneurs, podcast hosts, and speakers in the mental well-being and mindfulness space on a mission to democratize conversation and tools for emotional and mental health. Poppy is the founder of the award-winning Happy Not Perfect Mindset app, host of the chart-topping Not Perfect podcast, and author of Happy Not Perfect, Upgrade Your Mind, Challenge Your Thoughts, and Free Yourself from Anxiety. Poppy kicked off her career while studying at the London School of Economics when she became the youngest television host at ITN. After graduating, Poppy moved to Los Angeles to work with MTV, ITV, and later launched Pillow Talk with Poppy, Snapchat's first chat show. Then in 2015, Happy Not Perfect was born out of a clear need for a tool to deal with anxiety. Poppy received hundreds of messages from viewers opening up about their stress and anxiety. With her mom being a neurotherapist, Poppy decided something needed to be created to help everyone manage their mental well-being better. Whilst developing Happy Not Perfect, Poppy co-founded accessories brand Pop and Suki with actress Suki Waterhouse. The brand celebrates the meaning of friendship. The following year in 2016, Poppy delivered TEDx talk Addicted to Likes, which focuses on the harmful effect social media has on our mental health. In 2017, Forbes named Poppy one of their 30 under 30s, and she was appointed as the youngest board member of the Resnick Neuropsychiatric Hospital Advisory Board at UCLA to help consult on the well-being of students. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Poppy Jamie. Hi, Poppy. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, we're happy you're here. So we like to start every show with a fun question, something light, and then we will get into your 20s. So what is something new you learned this week? It can be maybe a new business or app or something that you're excited about, maybe a conversation you had with someone. What is something new that you learned this week? Oh, gosh, I've learned so much because I'm recording for the next season of my podcast. So I think it would have to be something about love from this amazing author called Natasha Lunn. And she writes in her book that you don't necessarily fall in love, but actually you build love. And there is this like cultural narrative and Disney is partly to blame here where we kind of being conditioned to think that suddenly we're going to be struck by this love moment and fall desperately deeply into love. But actually, sometimes that can lead us into situations that maybe not serve us to our greatest benefit. And actually, if we expand our understanding of love to approach it as something that you build, and actually, maybe you don't have romantic love in your life, but that doesn't mean you don't have any love. You're surrounded by love, being friends, family, or even just love from strangers. And so I just really loved this kind of idea of how do we expand our understanding of love? That was a beautiful lesson I learned this week. I love that. And that's so applicable for your 20s, I think, when your relationships are constantly changing. And there's a lot of pressure to be in love and have love and have a big social group. And 
I like the idea of reframing that. Did she say that it applies to professional stuff as well? Like you're not supposed to fall immediately in love with a career that it takes time to build and you find your passions or did she mostly just correlate it with like personal connections? No, absolutely all of it. It was the same with career. I think we can panic when suddenly we haven't found that career that we feel totally passionate about and and suddenly assume that we're failures just because we haven't found it at a certain age. But actually when we expand, just to echo your point and how you beautifully brought it into the workplace, it's so true. It's If we see it as more of a gentle building, I think we allow ourselves to journey a bit more through life rather than constantly looking for these finish lines of, yes, I'm obsessed with this. Yes, I love this. Yes, I know I'm doing exactly the right thing kind of approach. Yeah, it makes it less black and white, which I think some people, like I'll speak for myself, I it's very easy for me to make things very black and white, but it lets you live in the gray and not be so 100% and 0% on everything. So I love that. Well, thank you for sharing. I really appreciate it. So we're going to start at the very beginning. We're going to take it way back. So when you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up? When I was younger, I wanted to be a television host because at the age of six, I remember turning on the television and just thinking, oh, I would love to be that person. Almost they were like teachers for the world because I, there was this one show in England that you'd watch every day and you'd always learn new things. It was for half an hour. And I know you have equivalent shows like this in the US, but I just remember thinking to myself, gosh, what a cool job to be able to teach people different things and do fun things. And that's why I became a TV host because I wanted to do that when I was literally from the age of about six years old. Wow, that's incredible. You ended up actually fulfilling that dream, which is so cool. And now I guess with social media and we are able to all be our own little talk show hosts, right? And whether it's a podcast or whether it's even just posting on social, we all get to kind of spread the word, which I feel like was different back then, right? It was a lot more consolidated and you really just turned on like the one channel or the, you know, the three or four channels and watched whatever was on. Yes, exactly. That's so true. Everyone has the capacity to create their own platform. So I love how the world has changed so much. And back then you had to... There was so much red tape. There were so many steps to be able to even be on television that the world has been democratized so greatly since those times. So I agree. I think it's so lovely that we all get to be our own TV hosts these days. Exactly. Yeah. And was there something specifically that you wanted to share to the world about? Obviously, we have sports broadcasters and we've got people in entertainment talking about movies and TV, but was there something when you were younger that you said, oh, I want to tell the world about that specifically? I just wanted to host this one show, which basically was the coolest show. You would learn about history and then you'd learn about cooking and then you would learn about farming. It was such a kind of multicultural show and you'd learn different things about loads of different topics. So it was more, gosh, wouldn't that be so cool to have a deeply curious life where your job would be to learn. And in a way, I kind of have that job now where, especially with my podcast, every single week I have to learn new things in order to interview new people. And I think having a life and it doesn't necessarily, your job doesn't necessarily have to be this. You can, you know, you can exercise curiosity outside work. But for me, nothing has given me more happiness than being in a state of curiosity 
being in that state of being able to learn different things and you can learn it in the most simplest of places, even walking, um, there's things that you can learn. And obviously we're now surrounded by incredible content like podcasts that you see, you can be learning all the time. But yeah, I think I just mostly love thinking that I could just spend my life being curious. I love that. Yeah, that's and that's definitely what you've done, which we'll, de- we'll get into a bit. And it's, it's nice to be open to so many different opportunities and to learn so many different things, like you said. And I do think podcasting is a uniquely great place to do that. You know, I know with your show, you interview so many different kinds of guests and it forces you to learn so you can interview them. And then from the show, you learn so much. So that's so great to hear. And, and for those of you who don't know her, Not Perfect Podcast is, is absolutely incredible. So all right. Well, obviously you grow up, you think you're going to be a television host, and then you go to the London School of Economics. Can you tell me a little bit more about what went into that decision of going to the London School of Economics and how you liked your time there? Well, actually, that was a total disaster because I wanted to go to a different school and I was so focused and so determined that I was going to go to this other school and I knew exactly what I was going to study and I wanted to go there for a number of different reasons. And then in um, my version of SATs, in the last 10 minutes, a phone went off in the exam hall and I just carried on writing because I thought, well, it's obviously not going to be mine. I'm certainly someone that does not bring their phone to the exam. I knew that was a rule. You don't bring your phone to the exam and I just would never have crossed that rule. And the phone kept ringing and the phone kept ringing. And suddenly I realized that I had accidentally brought my phone in to the exam hall and I just got disqualified from my last exams, which totally turned my life upside down. And I was forced to not go to the school I wanted to go to because I obviously didn't get the grades because I had to take a year out to redo all of my exams again. And I was having a total life breakdown moment because I had worked every hour under the sun to ensure that I could get the grades that I wanted to go to the school that I wanted. And life showed me that sometimes it doesn't matter how hard we try or all the precautions we put in, sometimes life has a better and bigger plan for us. I was quite young when I had to learn that very painful lesson of when the gap between reality and expectation and when that gap is very big, you can feel extremely stressed. And so I was forced to take this year out against my will, but I did. And it turned into one of the best years of my life. And then I reapplied to go to the London School of Economics to study politics. And that's when I became a TV presenter when I was at school. And thank God that my phone went off because I would have gone to school outside of London. So it meant I wouldn't have been able to be a TV host and go to university at the same time. And so in a way, it was the best early lesson that disasters can often be the greatest blessings in disguise. And then I carried on at London School of Economics and I graduated and I was able to TV host all the way through. Wow, that is heartbreaking. My heart is hurting for you because you had the best of intentions and your phone goes off, which, oh, you wish you could talk your way out of something like that. Like, oh, that was such a mistake, you know? I didn't mean to, I promise I'm not cheating or anything. And sometimes it's just bad circumstances, but talk about looking at it from, you know, a gratitude lens. That's really awesome. And I'm obviously, like you said, things really did work out. 
And, you know, you took that gap year, you reapplied, and then you were able to be a host, which if you weren't in London, that wouldn't have been possible. Can you tell me a little bit more about that gap year as well? You know, I'm sure you were obviously so upset when you had to retake everything. Did you do any other work experiences or or gain some new insights? Or were you really just focused on retaking a lot of your exams during that year before you went off to the London school? So I was really, I really wanted to get a job. I love working, I guess. And so for me, having a job was the best thing ever because you can study and study and study, but nothing teaches you more than actually just getting a job, even if it's a job that you don't particularly want, just being, working with other people. And so I got a job and I then also did a bit of traveling, which I never would have done because I would have probably always been hesitant to take that time out of my career. So I traveled all through Asia and I just had a moment where I was able to be my age because I think there there's a cultural rush for everyone to grow up really quickly and think they've got their life all sorted out. And this was life giving me a pause button. And it said, you know, be 18, go and be 18 or just be your age. Like allow yourself to have fun, allow yourself to adventure, allow yourself to not have such fixed goals, which I had done since I was about 12 years old. I was a total goal setting workaholic. And this year was just the most amazing year in teaching me about life because life often happens when we're not really focused on it. And then I made a totally new group of friends, which again was really important because sometimes you can get stuck with friends that you just happen to go to school with when, you know, young, like college with and your friends because of proximity, not because you've chosen to be friends with them. You're just there at the same school. And so you're like, oh, okay, we're going to be friends. But actually getting to an age where I was choosing who I'd want to spend my time with was, was again, really, I learned a lot about myself and it was amazing to have that time. Yeah, that sounds extremely valuable. And letting yourself have fun when you otherwise hadn't, sounds like you must have learned a lot and you were able to meet a lot of friends. And I know as you went throughout your career, you were always the youngest to do things. So you continued to achieve and you continue to do things and set, you know, obviously high goals, but you gave yourself that time. What is your advice for people who maybe do have that same kind of workaholic, lots of fixed goals, mindset that you had, maybe they are 18, maybe they're 25 and they're working, working, working. What is your advice for them about taking time off, having fun, meeting new friends when they probably have this competing side that was pushing them to do more and want to be better and achieve things and be the youngest? Well, I would say that life is like snakes and ladders. And I think you guys call it shoots and ladders in the States. And it's that board game where you roll a dice and you go five places and then suddenly you hit a ladder and you're like, woohoo, I skipped 10. And then you're like, I'm the youngest person to do everything. This is amazing yay for me. And then you roll the dice again and you go two spaces and then you hit a shoot or a snake and you go back to block three. And that could feel so devastating because you were like, oh my God, but I was the youngest. I was so ahead. Like I now feel I'm behind. And that is life. Life is just a constant journeying. So the idea of being the youngest and trying to rush and do everything so quickly to get ahead of the pack, the head of the herd mentality, I think is an illusion, to be honest. And yes, I, you know, I was a youngest reporter here and I launched the first ever TV show on Snapchat and I had millions of people watching this show. 
Did it make me any happier? Truly? Really? Mm, temporarily. Did it feed my ego? Yes, perhaps. But I suffered such severe health consequences because I pushed myself to the utter limit. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes pushing ourselves is wonderful. It's like, let's see how far we can go. Let's stretch our limits. Let's motivate ourselves. Let's dream big. Let's just do it. Wow, that's liberating. But I think we've got to check in with the why. Is that because I'm just so passionate about this and I love it and it fills me with so much joy? Wonderful, great why. Is the why, oh, because people are going to like me more or external reason, like I'm not going to feel insecure if I, those sort of drives, I think will never be met by the thing we think is going to meet it. So life is just a constant balance of allowing yourself time to have fun and also work hard. Because the one thing I did never got my wrap my head around up until much later was the fact that actually the time playing, the time resting, the time just being young and making loads of mistakes and going to the party and, you know, having to get up early and being a bit tired, that is really when you learn the most about yourself. And that's when your best ideas come. And I think at one point I had tried to cut myself so much off from that because I thought, no, nope, I have to, I don't have time. I don't have time. I've got to just focus on my work. And I exhausted myself. If you look at the natural world, if you look at animals, Animals can't survive if they're running the entire time. Animals, they run when they have a goal, they need some food, and then they rest. And they run again, and then they rest. And I think that we have to remind ourselves that the rest is just as important as the running. Yeah, that's so powerful. And like you said, so much of the creativity and the lessons come from taking that time to think about it and reflecting. It's almost like you can't even think when you're running because you're just so focused on that one angle, you can't see the bigger picture. And I'm so glad that you had that year to really think about things. And I think it's a good reminder for all of us to take time, not let our health suffer, like you said, let ourselves rest. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you obviously go to the London School of Economics. And while you're there, like you said, you were the youngest post ITN at the young age of 19, which is an incredible feat. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you got that opportunity and how you liked it? I mean, you basically achieved your your childhood dream of being a host by 19. What was that like as well that you kind of had this vision for yourself and it came true at that age of 19? So how I got the job was being uh, creative. And I basically realized that I worked backwards. So I said, right, what's my goal? I want to be a TV host, right? How do I get it? How do I get that? Okay, so I need to know someone in the TV world, I need to start practicing the TV world, I need to start doing work experience in the TV world, I need to expand my network in the TV world. Okay, I don't know anyone in the TV world. Right. So what is the first step? Network with people in the TV world, because if I don't know anyone in that world, how am I going to hear about opportunities? So I realized that why not set up an interview show, a YouTube interview show for the school Um, and interview career leaders about their career in a way, probably like a little bit about little like this podcast in a way. And I was like, I want to know how all of these leaders got to where they got to and the advice they had for students. But 
this is obviously like very, it's a brilliant and very well-constructed show. My show was absolutely terrible. And I had, I went into the library and I asked any student I could find, can you please come and help me be a part of this TV show? Because we're going to go interview X, Y, and Z. And it was, I managed to kind of gather a few people together. And back then there was no, YouTube didn't, well, I mean, YouTube existed, but you know, there wasn't a YouTube shows like this is like 12, 13 years ago. So you didn't have the technology that that's available to us now. So we had these huge cameras that you'd like carry on your shoulder and then you had to like take the tape and then transfer the tape onto computers. And it was that kind of like laborious process. But anyway, I started to email every TV producer I could find on LinkedIn online. And then finally, I found this TV producer and I sent, must have sent like 50 emails and I got a couple back. And one of the emails I got back was this one from a TV producer, ITN. And he said, yeah, you can interview me. How does next Tuesday work? So there I go with my students I found in the library to interview this TV producer. And I sat there in his office and I said, so how did you start your career? What advice would you give to students? And then after the interview, I just said, well, can I have a job? And he was so taken aback because I guess he's never had six students crowd his office ask a couple of questions. And then the interviewer just say, I want a job. He sat there and he said, uh, well, uh, yeah, I, I guess if you want work experience, see me here on Monday. And so I arrived on that Monday and I was a tea girl. That was my job. I would go around the office and I would make people tea and then, and cups of coffee. And then after being like coffee girl, I was allowed to do really boring jobs. Like I'd have to watch footage for hours on end and just note down timestamps. Basically every job that nobody else wanted to do, I would do it with not just a, yeah, I'll do it with huge enthusiasm. Like, yes, I will absolutely do that. And I think they just thought, oh, well, this, this is quite easy to have Poppy around because she does everything that we don't want to do. And then after a year of doing every bad job you can imagine, I started editing and making news packages. And then that then led on to me interviewing for the entertainment show. And that led me on to, God, just interviewing the world's greatest superstars. And I traveled all around the world with it. And then that led me on to moving to LA and doing all the things over there. But it all started from just me being super creative in working backwards. That's unbelievable. I love the tenacity and the cold emailing. I feel like it's so obvious when you say, oh, I want to be a television producer. How do I do it? Go interview someone and ask them. But no one really does that anymore. And I think that's so incredible that you realize, I, you know, I want to be in this world. So I'm just going to go after it. And whoever gets back to me gets back to me. And when I get the door open a little bit with an interview, I'm going to ask for a job and open the door more. And I think that tenacity is really, really incredible. And obviously you were able to work your way up. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you think got you to work your way up like that? I know you said you were willing to do anything. You were really enthusiastic. But what do you think that secret sauce was? Because I think a lot of people in their 20s are doing jobs, whether it's the production assistant or it's a bartender at a hot spot where they think they might meet people. Like they might be doing these odd jobs that they hope will help them propel in the career that they want. What would you say is the secret sauce to going from maybe the lowest on the totem pole to being you know, the youngest host on a huge station? I would say that nothing is too great. And also be an entrepreneur. So even when you're in the job, 
don't just wait for instruction. Say, oh, I was thinking about doing this. Can I do it? It's being tenacious even when you're in the job. So it's big smiles. It's absolutely, yes, of course, I'll do anything. And then going the extra mile. And I'm sure in this day and age, people would say, what? You picked up your boss's washing? That's awful. But you know what? I was pleased to pick up the washing because that meant I could have a relationship with them. It meant that I had like more time to talk to them. It meant that I could ask questions and learn from them. Again, even when I wasn't coffee girl anymore, I was okay still getting everybody coffee. And so I think there's a humility to it where you're just so eager to learn because I was so excited about the thought of progressing that I was willing to be the lowest on the totem pole. And I was proud of that. And I think sometimes that's missed. It's just actually the small jobs are really important because actually they're the ones that are really, really helping out the people who are in higher positions to you. And that's how you build rapport. That's how you build relationship. I have a producer who works with me on my podcast and she started just doing a little bit for me. And I just became more and more in gratitude to her. I was like, oh my God, I actually just generally can't do this podcast without you anymore. And now she, you know, has a full paid job. But at the beginning, she was like, I just want to learn. I literally, I can I just learn podcasting from you? And I just think that kind of enthusiasm and just energy is so appreciated. That's, I think, the secret sauce. I don't think there's, there's much secret or magicness about it. I think it's quite easy. It's just remembering to do it. Yeah, it's having the right mindset, like you said. And I love this idea of humility as you move up. So still being willing to get the coffee and nothing being too low for you, which sounds like you've continued throughout your career. And that's helped you be the youngest in all these things because people are so excited to reward and promote and bring up someone who is still very humble. Okay, so you're at ITN, you've made it, you've done the thing, and then you decide to move to LA and work for some stations and companies over here. Can you tell me a little bit more about what brought you to LA and how you liked your roles here? I just knew I had this kind of gut instinct that I really wanted to be in America. And I think it's because I always loved the mentality that I think underpins the your culture, which is kind of anyone can do anything. And in England, there is less of that culture. And so I was just excited to go there and explore. And again, when you are looking outwards and not sucked in by your phone, insanely serendipitous, magical things can happen. And so I was planned my trip to America and I was on a train in England to a friend's house in the countryside from London. And I just started talking to the person next to me. And she turned out to be American and she lived in LA. And I said, oh, that's so funny. I'm coming to LA next week. I'm a TV host. And she said, oh, that's so funny. I work for MTV. And I said, oh my gosh, no way. Can I take your email? She said, sure. So this random stranger I met on a train, I email her the first day I get to LA. And she said, yeah, sure, come to my office. And that was literally my break because she introduced me to all the MTV team. They introduced me to MTV International. And then I started reporting for on all the MTV award shows. But it was, don't get me wrong, it was a struggle. I was constantly having to fly back to the UK to like work more in the UK to make money. So that meant that I could afford to live in the US. And I had to go through all the visa process. So it wasn't easy. It wasn't like I just suddenly met someone and it happened. But 
it also was deeply magical that out of total nowhere, I was guided in this amazing, amazing way. That's unbelievable, the serendipity of it. But it probably was, like you said, because you weren't looking at your phone and you were making small talk and having conversations with people around you, which doesn't happen often. And then when she gave you her email, instead of just saying, oh, no, she probably didn't mean to, or she probably doesn't want to hear from me, you took her up on it. And you said, okay, great, I'll email you first thing, which I think, again, shows that you like will take initiative. And when people give you a small opening, you're going to make it much wider, which is really incredible. Can you tell me a little bit more about your roles at MTV and International? You said you were continuing to do hosting work. How did you like that? And, and what kind of hosting gigs did you do? And can you tell me a little bit more about your role? Yeah, so I did the VMAs, I did the AMAs, I did all those huge award shows, basically. And I would interview everybody on the red carpet. So it was red carpet hosting. And I mean, it was really fabulous. I have to say it was so fabulous. I loved it. I knew I didn't want to do it forever, but it was so fun for that period of time. Absolutely. And it was your childhood dream fulfilled to be really making it. Red carpet hosting is the ultimate. You're doing your hosting gigs in LA. You're making it work. Like you said, not easy, but flying back from LA, UK. And then you get this bout of entrepreneurship and you start a very well-known Pop and Suki contemporary accessories brand. Can you tell me a little bit more about how that came to be and what led you to decide to start a business, which is obviously a huge undertaking? Yeah, so I just moved to LA. I had no friends because most of my friends hadn't moved. And so I think I knew maybe one or two people in LA. And uh, my friend had invited me to this dinner where a bunch of different people from the, like a bunch of Brits were going to be because it was some fashion dinner. And then we went to this nightclub and started dancing. And then that's when I met my best friend, Suki Waterhouse, who you guys might know. It was like love at first sight. And I just remember us just dancing the night away. And we quickly spent a lot of time together. And then we moved in together. And then when we were living together, we are both the most disorganized people that you could meet. We're so messy. And I remember us at night and she was doing a movie at the time and she would film at night. So she would leave at kind of 10 p.m. and go off to this movie set. And so we'd have dinner at kind of at seven. And we'd always just sketch and dream. And she had this really cute bag that we loved. And we just started talking about, well, what about if we created more of those bags, like the one you have and something that was, you know, could go with all outfits. You didn't need loads of bags. You just needed that one key bag. And so we suddenly were like, let's set up a business. And I had set up businesses since I was kind of 14, 15. I set up businesses at school. And in a way, the television business was a a bit like setting up a business. And so immediately I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And then a few weeks later, he'd already just sold a company before we'd met at the age of 24. And so we sat there and just dreamt up this world that celebrated women working together, best friends, sisterhood. And that's what got Papa Suki started. That's unbelievable. And like you said, you'd always been starting businesses and kind of wanting to do your own thing. Did you ever feel pressured to work a more corporate job? Or did you always love the freedom of, you know, being your own host and starting your own business and kind of being your own boss? Was that something that you feel like you always prioritized? Or did you ever feel pressured to go work for a more corporate setting? I tried the corporate setting. So I remember when I was at LSE, 
I did an internship at Goldman Sachs and I just realized that I would never have been able to stick it out. I just remember the second week being like, okay, I'm not sure this is for me. And, you know, it didn't light me up. Like the hosting lit me up and it didn't make me excited to go to work. And I then didn't really think about it because I wasn't really chasing after money. If the corporate world to me was if I wanted something a bit more financially secure, because I was kind of, I guess, on this journey of, and so excited about the career evolving. And and I just loved interviewing people so much. So in a way, my passion for what I loved totally blinded me to the benefits of a corporate job. And corporate jobs are brilliant and they are changing so much from what they were. They are providing and allowing people so much more flexibility and they're allowing for people to bring their creativity. I mean, they want people to bring their creativity into them. But for where I was then, I remembered it was not even a consideration after I started TV hosting. I was like, we're off. And again, I don't even think I quite realized what I was doing when I set up Hop and Suki. Like Suki and I didn't sit there saying, oh, we want to create a global accessories brand that we're going to launch in China in two years. We just were like, oh my God, wouldn't it be cool? Oh, wow, there's nothing like this out there. Oh, wow, what if we put people's names on it? We were just loving the process and weren't really thinking about the outcome. I love that. And I think that that's the secret. Like you said, it's just learning to love it and not caring so much about how it turns out. And then who knows, maybe it'll turn into a massive global brand and it'll be super successful. But it's this love of learning, like you talked about at the beginning, that hopefully can guide a lot of what people do. And you obviously went on to start Happy Not Perfect, which was another you know major global empire. And can you tell me a little bit more about how you've liked entrepreneurship? I mean, you obviously, Pop and Suki, you built into a, a major, major brand. Then you created Happy Not Perfect. How have you enjoyed that, being an entrepreneur and putting things out in the world and sort of seeing, is this going to take off? How are people going to like it? It's terrifying. Entrepreneurship is extremely glamorized and it is one of the hardest things that you can do. My father's an entrepreneur, so I guess that that was a big influence for me. And my whole family has a mentality, which is, well, just go and do it. Like if you like something, if you think it's something would be liked by other people, go do it, go find a way to do it. So the mentality has been with me for so long, but that doesn't mean to say it's not difficult. Before any launch, even when I was launching my book a few months ago, I had that same like worry. And luckily now I've got much better coping mechanisms and I can really manage the anxiety. But, you know, you get nervous. You've got no idea how people are going to receive it. You, People, I think, are under the illusion that, well, if I'm an entrepreneur, I, I don't have a boss. But that, I would say, is wrong because actually you always have a boss. Your bosses are either your investors or your bosses are your customers, your consumers, your clients, your community. You know, you are always, you know, someone is always your boss. And often when you're an entrepreneur, you work way more hours than you would in the corporate setting because, you know, it's your company. So you end up getting into dubious habits like working on Friday night and working on weekend because, you feel like that's expected of you and you can. And it's really easy to not have any boundary between work and your life. And my work became my life. So I found it tough trying to keep a work-life balance when it's your company's. But at the same time, it's incredible. I couldn't encourage anyone to do it more. You learn so much about yourself. You learn so much about human beings. 
It's not all fun and games, but it also is brilliant. Absolutely. Pros and cons for sure. And so you talk about boundaries, right? And work-life balance and how you struggle with that as an entrepreneur. And that I imagine is contributed somewhat to creating happy, not perfect, which obviously helps people create more brain health, better mental well-being, hopefully maybe finding that balance if their job as an entrepreneur otherwise is very stressful. Can you tell me a little bit more about starting Happy Not Perfect? You you started Papansuki mid-20s. Towards the end of your 20s, you started Happy Not Perfect. And obviously, it's turned into this crazy empire. I'd love to know a little bit more about you starting that business and starting the app and what led you to do that. When I really suffered from chronic exhaustion, I remember looking around going, well, what can I do to help myself? and really seeing so few options out there. And meditation was being offered to me all the time, but I didn't want to meditate. And I thought to myself, surely there's another way to relaxation that isn't just requiring meditation. Because realistically, I've, I've yet to meet that many people who really can sit with a consistent meditation practice every single day. And so Happy Not Perfect was a different route to mental wellness and a different route to looking after your brain. It was something that you could do with your eyes open. It would ask you questions. It would be, it was interactive and it felt so much easier to do, especially when you're in those moments of anxiety or stress where you're like, oh my God, if I tried to meditate now, my brain would be so busy. So I teamed up with a neuroscientist and I looked into how I could take the main pillars of positive psychology and turn it in to a game people could play every single day to really help rewire those neural pathways into feeling happier, more optimistic, and have a greater ability to manage whatever they were going through in the time. So that was really the fundamental basis of Happy Not Perfect, which was, look, therapy is incredible, but therapy is expensive, and it's not always accessible. And also therapy by itself, again, isn't necessarily achieving as much as it could do if you were doing exercises in between therapy sessions, or if you don't have therapy, like doing it yourself. So the Happy Not Perfect app was, you know, really, I really wanted it to be a companion to help retrain thinking habits and help people to sleep better. Well, it's amazing. And I think this idea of gamifying it and making it fun is really what makes it so cool because there are so many other apps out there that make you sit with your thoughts and you're like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this all there is? And so adding an element of fun, gamifying it, and like you said, working with the experts is very, very cool. Well, we are coming close to time. I do have a final question for you, Poppy. If you were to give one piece of advice to every 20-something in the world, what advice would you give them? What is meant for you will not pass you by. And I think it's so easy to get worried or compare yourself or think that you're falling behind and you're just not. You really are not. You are on your own very much divine path that is unfolding. And we all have huge, unlimited, unique potential. And everybody has a different gift to give this world. And I think that when we, sometimes when we slow down to really tap into what lights us up, what makes us feel our most excited, most joyful, that there often lies the nuggets of wisdom that will take us to the place and and help us live our most joyous life. I remember someone saying to me, be a racehorse with blinkers on. I think when we are looking around, it's so easy to go off course, but just stay in your lane and just stay focused on 
following the signs of what makes you feel fulfilled and you can't go wrong. And I talk about that in my book a lot and that I've got lots of methods to help you do that. But yeah, just return to the quote, what is meant for me will not pass me by. And that's the same for romantic relationships. It's the same for work. It's the same for if you don't get the job that you want, what is meant for you will not pass you by. And you, it means you can relapse into life so much more and worry less. I love that. And it ties so nicely back to the first thing we talked about, which is letting things build versus needing it to be this immediate black and white, like I love this or I don't love this. It's just a slow build of like paying attention to what you love, what loves you back and letting it be as it may be and not putting so much pressure on having it be today. Nothing will pass you by that's not meant for you, like you said. So I think that's super powerful advice, Poppy. And I can't thank you enough for taking time today to chat with us. I'm going to see... If we have maybe one question, I know we're coming up on time. C, we'll bring you on stage. Well, what a delight, Poppy. I can't tell you how many words of wisdom you've shared that I will take away. You are just fabulous. Where do you think your faith came from? Because are you religious, not religious, but you have this sense that things will turn out right. And um, it's so powerful to get there. How did you get there? And... What is your advice to help people get there? Well, that is a wonderful question. Oh gosh, I've got such a long answer and a short answer for this. But I guess that when we look back, we ever think we can say, oh, of course that happened. Because if I hadn't done this, then that wouldn't have happened. So when we look back, I think we can be reminded that there must be some sort of higher intelligence leading us in the right direction because I think we can find data in our own lives. And I think it's easy when we're trying to look forward to forget the faith because we go, oh my God, but, but how am I going to get there? Like, because the road, because obviously we can't look into the future. But when we look back, there is this sense of, oh, yes, yes, of course that happened that way. I did grow up in some degree of a religious context. And then I really developed, I guess, my spirituality through learning, learning about all different sorts of faith, because I truly believe that every religion is basically saying the same thing, just in different words. And when you look back into ancient civilizations, they're also saying the same thing. And so if everybody is saying the same thing, I suddenly thought, well, there must be something to this. And I think there's been times in, in when I have meditated, and I definitely, in, and I like meditating with other people more so than by myself, you kind of feel this sense of love. And I think that if, you know, quantum physics, if we look at it from a scientific point of view, quantum physics will suggest that everything, everything has a vibration and this love vibration that when we are feeling it feels so good that I think it's just been this unfolding spirituality that has strengthened over the years as I've studied more. And so, yeah, I think that I hope that answers your question. But I, I could say a lot more, but I just I truly believe that we live in a compassionate and loved filled world. And when we connect to being the most compassionate version of ourselves, we can tap into that kind of higher intelligence. Thank you, Poppy. Thanks for sharing that. Such a great question, C. Poppy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. 
I, I hope it was reminiscent of your early ITN days where you were chatting with the people you most admire. On a personal note, you're someone I absolutely look up to. And it's been such an honor to chat with you and, and hear all your gems today. And I'm sure it has been for all of our listeners as well. Could you let everyone know where they can follow you on social media and then, you know, your various businesses, podcasts, get your book, all that good stuff. You can find me at Poppy Jamie on any kind of social media platform. And I'm always delighted to hear from anyone and everyone. And you can find my podcast, uh, The Not Perfect Podcast on all podcast platforms. And then my book, Happy Not Perfect, is basically wherever you find your books. And as I said, delighted to hear from you and See, I just want to commend you again on such a brilliant question. I'm going to ponder that for the rest of the day so I can have a bit more of an eloquent answer for you. But I'm reflecting on it now and I'm like, there's a there's a feeling and even in groups like this, and thank you, Erica, for putting together such a, a wonderful group. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I know. I have to think about that question too now. I'm like, I don't, it's really a good one. All right, well, if you guys enjoyed this conversation, please give us a follow over at Dear 20 Something on Instagram and subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you get podcasts. Bye, Poppy. Thanks, Erica. Bye, everyone.